With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thanks for listening to the Broncos and Bratwurst podcast. I'm Kevin Gillikin. I am podcasting from just outside Munich, Germany. That's the... Uh, title of our show um i'm not eating bratwurst though that would be pretty nice this morning it's a really foggy cold october evening here on halloween in germany yeah it's not really a big deal here like it is in the u.s i think we will have a few trick-or-treaters last year we had our neighbor kids come up to the door and they know that um i'm american and don't speak very good german and so they just kind of stood there for about 10 seconds uh speechless and just kind of staring at me while I, I was wondering what on earth they wanted. <laughs> and uh, Finally, the oldest of them uh, squeaked out the words that they were you know, looking for candy in German. At least that, that was my interpretation of it. Um, anyway, yeah, happy Halloween. Um, stay safe out there. I hear there's a lot of snow going on in Denver. Um, just adding to the craziness of the sports week. Um, it's one of the crazier times of year where you have every sport, every major sport in the U.S. is is going. You've got the obviously the Game Seven of the World Series just went on last night. You have the NFL, NBA, baseball, or excuse me, uh, hockey. And in Denver, of course, the Nuggets and Avalanche are not being broadcast on TV, which is not a problem for me because I'm out of market and can watch them on um, NBA uh, stream or, or whatever. Even though I usually don't, because yeah, they are broadcasting at 3 a.m. in the morning usually. Now, the Broncos, of course, themselves had a very odd week um, coming off another heartbreaking loss, partly because of officials, partly because of bad mistakes. You know, that 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 horse collar tackle by, by Johnson at the end was just killer. 
Um, and partly because Joe Flacco is a rube and I'm really glad that he's gone. Um, hard game to watch, hard game to lose. Honestly, this is, this is hard to say, but I was, there was part of me that was hoping they would lose. There was now, not all of me, part of me wanted them to win because I love the Broncos and I always want them to win, but wins at that point didn't help it. I mean, I, I, in my heart, I felt like if they win that game, Joe Flacco stays, maybe the team, you know, wins six or seven, you don't get a high draft pick and you don't know anything about your quarterback situation going forward. And as everyone knows, I'm not a big fan of Joe Flacco. Um, and I, I wished even before last week that he would never again touch the ball as a Bronco. Um, of course, now that they lost, things have changed. And now we hear that Joe Flacco uh, is, was playing with, with a small or maybe fairly serious injury in his neck. And I do want to say, first of all, that I, I am sorry for the guy if he's hurt. I don't want anyone ever to be injured. I don't wish any ill on Joe Flacco. I, I, I mean, again, he may be the loveliest man on earth as a person. Um, that being said, I'm very glad that he is out and that he will not touch the ball again likely ever as a Denver Bronco. You just, you can't handle, especially veterans quitting on the team. He reminds me a little bit of, of Kyle Orton. Now, Orton was a little different. I don't know if he necessarily quit, but you could tell he was a guy that if anyone remembers, he, you know, you'd breathe on him and he'd fall down because he didn't want to get hurt. Now, I don't necessarily blame him. When you have a terrible offensive line, I can't imagine being the quarterback either. I think you do. It gets into your head. It gets, you know, in your mind that, wow, you know, I have one second before I get clobbered. And that's just human instinct. But when you're a 34, 35-year-old quarterback who's been around for a long, long time, you just got to know. You, you got to learn when to call hot routes. You got to learn, you know, who your guys are that are probably going to be open. And he just, he missed so many plays. I mean, follow Joe Rolls on Twitter. And he's got so many of these these um, highlights or these, you know, little video gifts of of receivers running wide open that Flacco never even looks at. It, he he really was playing these last few weeks like a rookie. And, and, and that's just absolutely unacceptable. Now, if he was a rookie, if he's even, you know, say Brandon Allen, who's going to start this week against the Browns, then okay, you know, you kind of take it and say, well, you know, that sucks. But hey, he can grow. Flacco ain't growing, guys. He He's not going to get any better. He is who he is. And so it's just a depressing thing when a veteran starts just chucking the ball, closing his eyes, falling down, not understanding pocket presence. I mean, look at the last play of the game. That that's that's just such a boneheaded play. I mean, you run up to the line of scrimmage and you just stand there like like you're not expecting to get hit from behind. I mean, come on. I mean, I I have almost I have very very little experience as a quarterback. I mean, really just with my buddies playing out in the out in the backyard. But even I know if you run up to the line and stop, the odds of someone coming up and smashing you from behind are pretty good when you wait for one or two seconds. And he did. It's like, what? And he did it over and over these last few weeks. It really bizarre, boneheaded plays. And I'm obviously not the only one saying it. Now, as anyone who listens to this show knows, I've been saying it since the beginning of the year that even when other people were defending Flacco and saying, hey, well, look at his QBR. He's fifth in QBR. I'm like, are you watching these games? He wasn't winning any games. I mean, he he looked like a rookie. I mean, yeah, he had some garbage time yards. He, I mean, he did lead the team on a few drives that were decent at the end of the game. He did have some good drives. He had some nice throws. But when you, when you watch the overall game, it left a lot to be desired. And it made you wonder, like, what is this guy doing sometimes? And he lost faith in the offensive line. I had an article, I think, three weeks ago 
about him not trusting Garrett Bowles anymore and, and Wilkinson as well. But I, I focused on Bowles, but it was also Wilkinson. And when you can't trust your offensive line and the offensive line doesn't trust the quarterback, you've got a terrible situation. And that was the case that the offensive line knew that they had to be perfect and, and even not even perfect. They, they had to somehow manage so that Joe Flacco could stand straight in the pocket or roll to his right. Otherwise, he was going to get hit because he had no awareness in the pocket. He wouldn't step up. He wouldn't move around. And don't blame this on, on his age. Don't blame this on his mobility. Look at Tom Brady. Tom Brady is one of the least mobile quarterbacks in football history, probably. And he is great in the pocket. Watch him in the pocket. The guy moves up. He, he, he moves to his left. He moves to his right. You know, Maybe he rolls if he has to, but he has that awareness. And Flacco is just apparently oblivious to it. Now, I haven't watched enough games before 2019 of Joe Flacco to know if that's been a long-term problem, but boy, it was a problem this year, and, and I'm and I'm glad to see him go. I mean, I think he was he was a, a travesty at quarterback, and he never should have been here. Now, I know Joe and, and other guys are defending the decision and defending Elway for bringing him in and saying, what what are the other options? I, I'm Seriously, they, they had, I mean, they probably could have brought in Teddy Bridgewater, who just won five games for New Orleans. Um, they could have kept Case Keenum, honestly. I mean, yeah, that sucks. He wasn't good. He was really, really bad. But, you know, he probably would have run this offense better than Joe Flacco. I mean, it was always kind of a weird thing with Joe Flacco that, I mean, I guess I had a little bit of hope that he would be able to to run the offense fairly well. I did. At the beginning of the year, I tried to find optimism and to to create some hope because I thought, yeah, okay, he's a guy who who, who can, you know, Play, you know, play with a play action scheme. He can roll a bit. He can find his tight ends, and it ended up he really can't. I don't know if that's because he's older or if it, I just missed something. But the guy can't roll to his right and throw. I mean, just watch the tape. He's been so so bad this year at rolling. He only rolls to his right, partly I think because that's the scheme, partly because he doesn't trust bowls, and so he's always sprinting to his right, and he just he can't run and he can't throw on the run, and so. The offense just never worked for him. So everyone's blaming the play calling. And again, go follow Joe Rolls on, on Twitter. Watch the play calling. Yeah, it hasn't been perfect. There have been some bad calls, which Fangio actually took credit for or took the blame for, I should say. But, you know, there have been some plays where there were some wide freaking open receivers running down the field and Flacco just didn't see him. Just didn't see them. And this, this happened a lot. I mean, and then Flacco has the nerve the freaking nerve to come out and, and say that he doesn't like, you know, being not being aggressive. I mean, that what a piece. I'm sorry. That that is so unacceptable. I mean, the guy has been one of the he has one of the the, the lowest averages per pass in the NFL, bottom ten. You know, his 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 QBR, he's twenty second in QBR. Um in you know, since two thousand eleven, he has seventy seven games graded with quarterback rating below 70 that's second in the NFL behind Andy Dalton who also got benched the same week ironically two guys that I think a lot of people kind of put in the same basket in terms of uh, veteran quarterbacks um so I mean you know this year he's got 85.1 rating um there are only five starting quarterbacks below him he's one of the bottom six quarterbacks in terms of rating ironically this this is insane well we'll talk more about the Browns um obviously in the second segment um Baker Mayfield has a rating, a quarterback rating of 67.8. Oh my gosh. I mean, that's bad. He's he's the worst of all the starting quarterbacks who've played every game. Flacco 85.1 is bad. 67.8 for Baker Mayfield. 
Woof. So we'll talk a little bit more in the in the in the second segment how the Broncos can and maybe even should beat Cleveland and how the Broncos' future actually looks brighter than the Cleveland Browns, which is pretty remarkable to say. But I still want to I want to say you know I, I honestly I I'm not a vengeful person I'm not a spiteful person I don't think but I do kind of hope the door hits Flacco on the way out. I mean to to give up on your team first of all. It's totally unacceptable. It's totally unprofessional. It's something that we can't handle here in Denver. And no one should. No team should should take that from a guy. And then to go out and blame your offensive coordinator for for one who's a, a rookie offensive coordinator. And to say he's not being, you know, he's not attacking enough, or your coach, I guess, if you're blaming Fangio, when you as a quarterback have been terrible. Your offensive line's been terrible. You're, you've given up the third most sacks in the NFL, which is partly offensive line and partly Joe Flacco. And and you just have the nerve to blame the, the, the coordinators? Come on. They trusted their defense, which, yeah, you can blame it if you want. Maybe it wasn't great. I don't love the play calling, you know, the the the, the call to run it up the gut on a, on a draw play. But I get it. You know, they trusted their defense to make a stop, and the defense didn't. I mean, Jacoby Brissett made an unbelievable play. Now, yeah, Von Miller should have tackled him. Chris Harris Jr. maybe should have, you know, stayed with Hopkins, but it was a, or not Hopkins, with Hilton. It was a great play. I mean, you, you got to tip your cap sometimes. I mean, Brissett made a, a couple really brilliant plays. Good for him. But, you know, the, the coaching staff trusted their defense. You know what? The defense is number four in yardage in the NFL this year. They've been really good, especially in the last few weeks. When your offense is averaging just below 16 points per game, don't go and don't go and talk to me about about you know your your you don't blame it on someone else. When you're the quarterback, take the blame. Say, hey, yeah, you know, if if you're going to criticize someone, at least also take blame on yourself. Say, yeah, you know, I I wish we could have been more aggressive. I think you know we don't have anything to lose, but you know, yeah, I haven't been great either. I've missed some passes. I've missed some some open receivers. He didn't say that. I didn't see any leadership from Flacco. I haven't seen leadership all year. Remember when I said I don't like Joe Flacco's face? How is that turning out, guys? You remember how lambasted I was for that comment? Well, huh. Turns out to be pretty darn true. The guy didn't care. He he was here for a paycheck. At least at some point. I think he he looked at this team and was like, yeah, you know, they're not talented enough to win. Rookie play caller, bad offensive line. You lose a couple tough games. I'm done. It's a hard thing to say, but tell me otherwise. Maybe he's a great person. I don't know. But as a professional, I saw him quit. I don't see any other anyone else out there quitting. I don't. I mean, the defense is balling out. They're number four in the NFL. And they haven't gotten any help from their offense. They've lost key players. Callahan hasn't played a snap. Chubb is out for the year. Todd Davis has been injured. Jewel's been injured. I mean, a lot of guys have been hurt. And they're still playing their hearts out. And that's something. And they're looking better and better. You remember everyone was panicking about Fangio's defense because there were admittedly some really bad games. But you just got to give it a little time. His his scheme takes some time. And he's going to need even more players to come in and fit his scheme. And like Johnson has come in and, and shown that he he's a guy who's all over the field. And if he's an answer now, yeah, he made a terrible play 
against Indy, but you know, he's a kid. He'll figure it out. Purcell has made some big plays. Also a bad penalty on Sunday as well. But now it seems like, you know, Fangio is starting to figure out who he wants on this defense. And that will bring up Chris Harris Jr. What should they do with Chris Harris Jr.? It's really tough to say. I mean, I understand why they didn't trade him. You know, if you're not getting the right offers, there are some conspiracies, which Skipper Dude is going to talk about up next in the next segment. But, you know, in the end, if you're not getting the price you want, I mean, if he goes in free agency, they'll get a compensatory pick, I think, of a third or fourth rounder. So if you're not getting anything above that, then yeah, keep him for the year and then let him go. Now, there are also rumors out there that they want to re-sign him. That I kind of doubt because they're going to really have to pay him a lot. Um, probably, you know, top of the market, you know, couple year contract. And I don't think Elway's going to do it. I do think Chris Harris Jr. would like to stay here. I think the relationship has maybe improved a little. You know, he's about to have his fourth child in Denver sometime, I think, this week or next week. So maybe that's something they can fix. And I hope they do because, I mean, again, they're the fourth best passing defense in the NFL. That's something. I mean, they've got some really good pieces there, and that's without Bryce Callahan, for goodness sake. When you're, you've got guys like, like you know, what what's his, the other Harris? Uh, I can't even think of his name. See, I can't even think of his first name. You got guys coming from nowhere, plugging in spots. Duke Dawson. Bosby also was balling out before he got unfortunately injured. Yadam really hasn't been seen and probably won't be on this team in the future. But Jackson, Simmons, even Parks has had some good moments. He's also injured now. So if you re-sign Chris Harris Jr., you really could. And of course, if Callahan comes back healthy, you could have a really good secondary. You still need some pieces. You need to bolster that defensive line because you're probably going to lose Wolf. You're going to lose Gotsis. You're going to probably lose Shelby Harris. So you're going to have an entirely new defensive line, but maybe that's good. Maybe you need guys who come in and, and can be handpicked by Fangio. But there is hope here. There's hope. And I think that since Chris Harris Jr. wasn't traded, I'm glad of it, partly because I think he's he's a really good player. He's a Bronco for life guy that I would like to see him as a Bronco for life. And, and I think... You know, you you there are pieces to this team that really could work. Each game you see, you see that they could have won. They, they they could be like five and three right now. Truly, they could. They've had some bad breaks, some really bad calls by the referees. Bad penalties. But there is a nucleus here that could be great. You just need to build on it. You need another great draft. And some key pieces, most importantly, you need a quarterback. We'll talk about that up next, but first, Skipper Dude will give his opinions of this crazy week for the Denver Broncos, what they should do next, and just what he thinks of a conspiracy about Chris Harris Jr. Skipper Dude, after this break. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. 
Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. They're coming to take me away. Ha-ha. They're coming to take me away. Ho-ho. Hee-hee. Ha-ha. To the funny farm where life is beautiful all the time. And I'll be happy to see those nice young men in their clean white coats. And they're coming to take me away. Thanks as always, Kevin. Yeah, they're coming to take me away. Ha ha. What a psycho kind of year this has been, Kevin. Truly one of the strangest that I've seen in my 35 years as a Bronco fan. The Broncos team is now two and six and just playing out the season, but they're also three last minute field goals from being five and three. They're playing without two of their top cornerbacks, Bryce Callahan and Devontae Bosby, and yet They're the number one team in the entire NFL in the least fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. The one group on the defense that has not suffered any major injuries this year, the defensive line, which was supposed to be this legendary thing, has been pedestrian at best, a liability early in the season, but has pretty well turned things around by starting the guy, Mike Purcell, who the Broncos basically pulled off the NFL scrap heap. The offense is full of young talent and what I consider to be a very promising up-and-coming play caller in Rich Gangarello, yet they've only scored 20 points once this year. And on one hand, the offense is close to being very good. But on the other hand, the two most important positions on the offense, quarterback and left tackle, are, as of this moment, smoking holes. I mean, I'm watching the first half last Sunday against Indy, and I'm having this sense of deja vu, like I've seen this all before, like it's an allegory from a movie. And then it hit me, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, right? So, so coconuts being banged together like a horse? No, in fact, that's pretty much what a rich Gangarello offense is supposed to look like. Smooth, methodical, graceful. No, I think what I was seeing reminded me more of this. So then Joe Flacco comes out after the game and snipes at the coaching staff for, are you kidding me? not being aggressive enough. I mean, come on. Accuse Scangarello of bad breath or chewing with his mouth open or something like that, but Joe Flacco accusing him of not being aggressive enough? Good heavens. It's just weirdness all the way around. But today, guys, I wanted to go off on a couple of leadership-oriented hot takes. As most of you know, I work in IT at a big company, and my passion is for business management, corporate politics, things like that. And when you're in that world, you learn that politics and the words of management have their own language. When somebody like John Elway talks on the record, he's typically saying quite a bit with very few words. But you really need to be in tune with the language of leadership to understand what he's saying. So my first hot take today has to do with Joe Flacco. Now, if you're somebody like me who has had any sort of sports career, mine was pretty modest as a baseball player in Southern California, majorly projectable at 15, and a broken down has been by age 18. 
But you know that there reaches a point when you take off that glove, you take off the shoulder pads, and you just know. You know. It's over. Your career's done. And I really believe that Joe Flacco hit that point sometime during the Chiefs game a couple weeks ago. I mean, his team's down three scores in the fourth quarter, and he's not even running a hurry-up offense. As fans, we could all see that he had quit on himself and quit on his teammates. And I think there's a little bit of culpability, honestly, for John Elway and Vic Fangio and Rick Scangarello for kind of hiding their heads in the sand when the writing was very clearly on the wall as regards Flacco. But after the Indianapolis game, when Joe Flacco came out and criticized the coaching staff for not being aggressive enough, that was his way of saying, guys, I'm ready to call it a career and just collect the rest of my paychecks for this year and go do something else with my life. I'm done. There was somebody on Twitter who asked people to come up with their best conspiracy theory as regards Flacco, and here's mine. I, I think Flacco had his presser, and afterwards, John Elway comes up to him and says, how you feeling, Joe? And Joe says, my neck hurts, has been for a couple of weeks. And Elway knows. He, that, that was his opening. He heard the presser, and he understands the language of leadership. So he looks at him and he says, I don't know, that looks like a herniated disc to me, Joe. Vic, have the medical staff take a look at this. And, and of course, that was that for Joe Flacco. Now, I, I doubt that that's actually how it came down, but the reality, if you know how to interpret leadership speak, you knew that Flacco was effectively retiring after the Indianapolis game. He couldn't just up and retire like Andrew Luck did, or he'd be walking away from about $9 million or so, I'm pretty sure. But it's what he was saying. And, of course, the Broncos' leadership stepped right in, and they accommodated it, which, honestly, in the final analysis, was good on them. So, so really, it's all good. Personally, I'd rather see Brandon Allen come out and throw four interceptions this Sunday than have to deal with another week of poker face Joe Flacco having quit on his teammates and on his own career. It's time to move on. Okay, so on to my next hot take from this week. And that revolves around Chris Harris Jr. So it was no surprise that Harris was on the trade block this week, or, or Elway was at least listening to offers. Now, I had it figured that Elway was probably holding out for a second-round pick, and I think that was a very reasonable price. I've heard some criticism of Chris Harris Jr. this year, especially in run support, but if you look at the numbers he's putting up against opposing number one receivers, they are absolutely astounding, and they're indicative of a player who is still very much in his prime and from a coverage standpoint and extremely elite. If you hold firm and you keep him for the rest of this year and you don't trade him, and even if he signs somewhere else in the offseason, you'll still get a third-round compensatory pick in 2021. So trading him for much less than the second-round pick really wasn't a good move for the Broncos. So the lack of a deal, I think, was really a positive. I'm totally good with it. But according to reports, the interest in Harris was practically non-existent. And here's where I think things get a little dicey. Elway said publicly that teams were not meeting his price. I get that. I think that's completely legit and above board. But somebody in the media, seems like it was either Benjamin Albright or Adam Schefter, if I remember, reported that Elway only had one solid offer, and that was from the Lions for a package that was not even worth a third-round pick. The Eagles were said to have been interested for a couple of weeks, along with as many as six teams total, according to some rumors, but nobody else ever made a firm offer. Guys, these details just don't add up for me. 
Yeah, Chris Harris Jr. is legitimately a guy who could take a team like the Eagles or the Seahawks or the Ravens and upgrade them from Super Bowl pretender to legitimate contender. If Emmanuel Sanders was able to fetch a low third rounder and some pocket change, then Chris Harris Jr. should have fetched more than that. Only one offer, and it wasn't even the equivalent of a third rounder. Sorry, I'm not buying it. So where I actually kind of like the way the whole Joe Flacco story played out this week, I'm not so hip on the Chris Harris Jr. story. My instinct is that there's some misinformation and half-truths that are being put out in the media, and they're doing that to drive down Chris Harris's market value this coming offseason. Why? Because I think John Elway and Vic Fangio and Ed Donatel still see another three or four good seasons for Chris Harris Jr. and would like to try to wrap him up again and make him a Bronco for life. That's a good thing. And knowing Elway, he'll probably have a pretty fair offer ready to go by day one of free agency next spring. And that's also a good thing. But come on, if I'm right about this, and honestly, I'd rather hope I'm not, and then these internet reports about the lack of interest in Chris Harris Jr., if they're not 100% above board and honest or they're, they're, they're manufactured, it would be some kind of crappy treatment for a guy who has been a warrior for the Broncos organization and played several of his best years on one of the most team-friendly contracts the Broncos have ever known. If you want to make Chris Harris a Jr. a Bronco for life, then pay him his due. You're cutting Flacco this offseason. You're near the end of Vaughn's contract, and his next contract is not going to be as prohibitively expensive. And you still have three-plus years left on Drew Cutlock's rookie contract, so you're not going to be burdened by a huge quarterback con- uh, contract. And your 2020 team is not likely to be a Super Bowl contender anyway, and it's going to have a huge amount of cap space, so you're not likely to need every dollar of cap space. I won't. It won't kill you to overpay a bit for one of the greatest Broncos of all time. Chris Harris Jr. has earned that. Kevin, back to you. Oh boy, conspiracy theories from the skipper dude. Thanks as always to him for his insight, for his opinions. Ooh, I mean, if if they really do have something going on in trying to keep the price cheaper for Chris Harris Jr. next year, ooh, uh, I mean, there are definitely people in the media, in the Broncos fan base, who do obviously think very, very little of John Elway and think that that is something he might do. I could see it. I mean, I think it's a business. You you kind of try to finagle and wrangle your way to any cheap price you possibly can. I hope they don't do Chris Harris Jr. dirty because the guy has earned more than that, as Skipper Dude said as well. Um, I could see it being the case. I hope it's not the case. I hope that they re-sign him, um, but I don't think they do because he's going to be too expensive. But you just don't find guys like him very often. He's still playing at a high level. Now, he's going to fall off the cliff eventually because, you know, especially slot corners, just, just eventually their hips can't turn like they used to. But he's so smart. He's so technical. And that's what he's been good at for so long that I think he will last longer than most guys. He's he's only in his early 30s. I think he still has a couple good years in front of him. Now, if they can get him at another hometown discount, maybe because John Elway is selling him low, um, then yeah, yeah, I, I think maybe he signs. I hope he does. But yeah, let's not get our hopes up next year. Maybe you're looking at Bryce Callahan as your number one, maybe say Bosby number two and a rookie number three. We'll find out. Either way, no one is likely to be as good as the great Chris Harris Jr. Um, other than that, yeah, interesting takes, excuse me, from Skipper Dude. 
it's it's a strange year. What a weird year, you know. I mean, what a weird year where I'm I'm I was rooting for Brandon Allen to be the quarterback last week and again this week because I just didn't want Joe Flacco to play. And when I'm rooting for Brandon Allen, who, who the heck is Brandon Allen? Yeah, most people don't even know. I mean, he came over from LA. You know, he's a guy who's drafted, I think, in the sixth round, played a bunch of preseasons. He's been around for, I think, three or four years now. Um, he did impress during the preseason against the game against LA. He kind of tore apart the Broncos, uh, second and third stringers. Um, I, I was rooting for him because, you know, I don't like Flacco, I don't like quitters. And I think Allen is going to be an interesting piece. I think he, he, I just don't think anyone can be worse than Joe Flacco. I just don't see anyone being worse. I mean, when you have a really terrible offensive line and a veteran quarterback who can't move in the pocket and can't change plays at the line, can't see blitzes, he doesn't understand when to 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 um, create hot routes or hit hot routes. I mean, what do you have to lose? At least Allen's a young guy who might learn. Thacko is not going to learn. So yeah, I was rooting for Allen, and now he's going to play. What's he going to do against the Browns? Who knows? He could be terrible. I mean, maybe he'll throw four picks and under 100 yards. It's possible. But you know what? I would rather that. Like the skipper dude said, I would rather him than Flacco because you know what you have with Flacco, and it's not a winner. Allen, maybe. Maybe he's the next Tom Brady. Is that likely? No. It's probably not going to happen. But at least there's hope. There's something that could be there. It's the same with Locke. I don't know what they're doing with Locke, honestly. I, I don't really understand why they don't bring him back to practice. Um, he's healthy. I, I don't. Someone please explain to me why he's not at least activated. Now, I'm not saying he has to start or be the second stringer, but what does it help keeping him on IR? It, it, someone. It, it must be because there's a there's a spot on the roster they want to keep open. But I, I guess I I'm I'm really unclear what the advantage is of keeping him off. But sounds like the idea is that he will come back at home against LA because you have you have Cleveland then you are at Minnesota and at Buffalo those are two tough games against two tough teams in two really tough environments and I understand you don't want to start lock there you don't want to just throw him to the wolves and have him you know totally fall apart so I get it I, I don't really blame them for that I don't I don't know if they know what they're doing in this situation they seem to think they know um maybe they're they're going to you know run with Allen see what what he can give but I mean I don't know what, what what's his future on the team I mean he's a late round pick who's never proven anything and never been much more than a practice squad guy Chris Harris Jr. also didn't have a lot to say about him someone asked Chris Harris Jr. about about Allen and how he's looked in the practice team and and Harris Jr. said something like oh you know I don't want to I don't want to judge him by his by his uh time on the on the um on the uh practice squad on the cheese I can't think of the name the 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 scout team. Thank you, Kevin, and your terrible brain. Yeah, on the scout team. Um, and he kind of, you know, eh, kind of didn't throw him under the bus, but definitely didn't praise Allen. So that's a bit of a worry, but I don't even care. I mean, if they lose to Cleveland, they lose to Cleveland. I mean, again, losses at this point at the end are better than wins. And so we're I, I'm rooting for, for the Bengals to win and Miami to win every week, of course, because right now, it's better for us to lose than to win. That that's just the case. It's hard because we're fans, and each game, yeah, I go into it hoping they win. But yeah, you know, looking from the outside, a loss is better. Now, it's a really interesting week 
because they're facing the Browns, who also have two wins. Now, the difference is the Browns came into this season, at least in Cleveland, with a ton of hype. You know, a lot of hype. Baker Mayfield said, yeah, the hype is real, which I heard someone say, I forget who it was, say, yeah, that's pretty ridiculous. I think it was I think it was Schlereth said it's, it's pretty ridiculous to say that because hype comes from hyperbole, which is pretty much saying it's 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 not true. It's 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 not factual, which is kind of ironic. Um, and obviously, they've been terrible. Baker Mayfield's been really the worst quarterback in football, which I didn't expect. I mean, at the beginning of the year, I predicted them to be eight and eight, nine and seven. They've been obviously much, much worse than that. There, there are issues which I saw, which many people saw. They're 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 really young. They've got a coach who's never been here, never done that, doesn't have any idea how to control a locker room, it seems. And he has all these guys with with tons of ego, tons of drama. And you threw you threw Kitchens into a really bad position. That was just it was a bad hire. It was a Cleveland Brown hire. Bring in guy like Mike McCarthy who knows how to run a locker room, or keep Greg Williams who who you know is a drill sergeant and kept them under control and really led them to to victory at the end of the season because he is a drill instructor because he's a tough dude who didn't handle crap in the locker room. And then you go and bring in a rookie head coach with a second year dramatic kind of egotistical kind of a bratty little quarterback and then bring in Odell Beckham Jr. And you're already with a, a an egomaniac wide receiver with Landry. I mean, come on. What did you expect? I mean, it can't be a good locker room right now. You just saw Baker Mayfield drop out of an interview because he got kind of a tough question from a reporter. I mean, he, he's not a mature guy. Maybe that changes, but it it would change if he's in the right environment. He's not a guy who's going to fix it right now. It, does, it doesn't ever appear that he would be so the browns are the browns i like the browns i I cheer for the browns because several years ago i i I wrote and edited a website that covered them and they become kind of my they became kind of my second baby even though yeah they're the browns they're always terrible but i do have a soft spot for them and so to see them continually make mistake after mistake is is rough and i think odell beckham jr is probably going to be traded because he doesn't fit in that locker room now it's either odell beckham or you bring in a different coach. And, and I I don't know what you do. I mean, I think Kitchens might be gone after a year. And that's tough on that guy because it's not really his fault. It's kind of like, you know, what do you, what do you expect? But anyway, it's an interesting comparison when you start looking at the Broncos and Cleveland because they've got the same record. You know, they've got their fans in an uproar. They're, they're teams that, you know, you can't really compare Cleveland's losing streak because they've been doing it for 30 years. But you say in the last five years, they've both been bad teams, Denver and Cleveland. Now, Cleveland, you know, really did more of a more of a rebuild, you know, that more of a tank. You know, they went what one in fifteen, and, and then two and fourteen, or something like that, and were terrible, and, and got a couple of high picks. They got the number one pick, obviously, in Baker Mayfield, uh, Denzel Ward. I think was number what was he number three? He was right before Chubb, and and a couple other guys. And they've been drafting low for years and years, and and they've they've gotten some talent, and they have some very talented guys, and a very young group, a very young roster. The Broncos are a little different. You know, they they have some real talent. They have some youth, obviously. You have some guys in the last two years who've really helped build this team up. Justin Simmons, Philip Lindsay, Dalton Reisner, Cortland Sutton. Um, but it's still not to the same percentage as Cleveland. I mean, the Broncos still have, you know, Jackson. They've got Callahan if he ever played. They've got James at tackle, Bowles at tackle. You know, some veteran guys. And so it's an interesting perspective if you look at it. If you're a Cleveland fan... What's the problem here? Because you hope you have the quarterback of the future. So, okay, that's not a problem. <laughs> you hope. 
right? Baker Mayfield's the future, right? Okay, it's not the talent. You've got a ton of young talent. A lot of people were saying that they're one of the most talented rosters in the league coming into 2019. So what is it? Is it the culture? Yeah, probably. So you have a rookie head coach. Okay, what do you do? Do you fire him? Maybe. If you fire him, who do you bring in? And if you bring in, say, McCarthy or, or Greg Williams, whoever, they're probably going to bring in new schemes. And then the team's going to have to learn new schemes. And you know what? That's probably another lost year. That's a problem. I mean, it's a problem the Broncos have had, too. When you recycle coaches, we've talked about this before, when you recycle coaches, you have to rebuild everything. You have to start from scratch. Everyone has to learn an entirely new playbook. That's really hard. Some guys just simply can't do it. And so to just say, you know, oh, you know, this guy is going to be traded here and he's immediately going to fit. And it doesn't always work that way, even if they're talented. Look at Odell Beckham Jr. Everyone thought, oh, Baker Mayfield's better than Eli Manning right now. So obviously Odell Beckham Jr. is going to be that much better. It doesn't work that way. It, it, it all, you know, it has to do with the scheme. It has to do with the other pieces. It has to do with the quarterback, the culture. Cleveland's culture is a mess. They have no one to control it. They have no father figure, it seems, in that locker room. Now, I'm not in the locker room, but tell me I'm wrong. The players run amok. Denver doesn't have that. And I think, honestly, the most vocal guy who maybe was a bit of a problem, Emmanuel Sanders, is gone. So now Chris Harris Jr., yeah, he's pretty vocal. But, you know, he's been around long enough that, you know, you can kind of handle it. And he's, he's kind of a quiet vocal. He's not as, as vocal as Sanders. And then you have Joe Flacco complaining about the, the coaching staff. And, well, <laughs> he hit, heads to the IR probably. I'm not saying it's a fake injury. I think it probably is a real injury. But, you know, the circumstances worked out. Let's just say that. So the culture, I don't see to be a problem in Denver right now. I see guys who are really, really fighting hard. They make mistakes. They're finding ways to lose. That's bad. But I, I, don't, I don't get the feeling of, of a bad locker room. I think Fangio is, is on the right track. I think Scandarello is on the right track. I think he has actually been a decent play caller. He just doesn't have the players to, to can perform. When you have a quarterback who doesn't perform and he's a veteran, the locker room's just got to feel terrible because you don't have a future with him and you don't have a present with him. You don't have a past with him. I mean, there's nothing there. You see Sanders, you know, why he had issues with it. Quarterback's not getting him the ball. The quarterback's not getting anyone the ball. So that's a problem. But he's gone now. Okay, now you have Allen, okay? At least now the offense can say, well, maybe. Maybe he'll be good. And then when Allen's gone in three weeks and Locke comes in, then there's really hope. And maybe Locke's terrible. We don't know yet. But at least the offense in the locker room is going to say, hey, look, you know, we have someone new. This is our guy. We don't have a pass with him because he's a rookie. But we could have a future. He could be the guy. We could grow with him. If Locke becomes something special, if he works in this offense, if he's a leader, he can be our guy. Flacco was never going to be that. And that's hard. I imagine this, and again, look at, look at a normal office situation. And you have, you know, say a consultant come in who's only going to be there for a year. You're immediately not, you don't have that trust with him because you don't have, you know there's no future. You're not going to become his friend. He's only going to be there a year. So, okay, I hope he does a good job. That's all you care about. There's no respect. There's no love. There's no trust. 
But if he does a good job, then okay, cool. That's why he's here. Now, if he doesn't do a good job, it makes you feel that much worse. If he's a guy who <coughs> who's young and you can see building your team around in an office, he'll fix his mistakes. He'll get better. He has the potential to be great. You'll give him that little bit of a rope. You know, you'll give him that benefit of the doubt. You'll say, yeah, okay, this is rough, but there's room for improvement. We see something of him. He made five bad plays, but one great play. And that one great play, that's something we can build on. And that's what they could have with Drew Locke. There is real optimism now. I truly believe that. that Since Flacco is sitting, there's something to really be excited about. And it's not wins. Wins don't really matter right now. They really don't. Honestly, they're bad. So what we should look for is, is who's fighting on this team? Who wants it? Who wants to be on this team? Von Miller said it too about when Sanders got traded. Von Miller was like, hey, you know what? We want guys on this team who want to be on the team, who want to win with this team, who want to stick around on this team. Good job by Von Miller. He's got to become the leader that he's always should have been. And I think he's a good leader in some ways, but he's even got to improve even more. He's got to set the culture in that room. And I think Philip Lindsay, Cortland Sutton, Dalton Reisner, I do think they're going to help that culture. I think Fangio is going to help. He is, he, is a, he is a grown man who I don't think he's going to let crap happen. And I think there is some trust there. And you have to grow with him. You have to let him fail sometimes. And it's the same with a rookie quarterback. But I think that the rest of the team is going to give them that benefit. They're going to say, yeah, okay, we suck right now. But you know what? There is a future. We have a future with Lindsey, Sutton, Reisner, Locke, Fangio. I make the example of the Denver Nuggets often. When Michael Malone came in, they struggled. It was not always nice and pleasant with him and Jokic. But you know what? Eventually, Jokic bought in. The rest of the team bought in. They said, yeah, okay, this is working. This, this, there is something here. Malone got them to buy in. And when they bought in, they overperformed. Look at last year. They weren't supposed to be the second seed in the West, but they were. They overperformed. They even outplayed their talent. And now they're, they're the favorites in the West, according to many people. And that's what the Broncos need. They need a coach who can get his team to buy in for the future, to say, look, maybe not this year, maybe not 2020, but in 2021, our culture will be so good that people will want to come here. Our rookies will play. Everyone's going to ball out. Everyone's going to play hard. No one's going to quit on this team. And if John Elway does his job like he has the last two years and does well drafting guys, who are ballers, who want to play, and obviously have talent, this team does have a future. And that's something we should all get behind, something we should all be excited about. I'm pumped. I was pumped when I heard Joe Flacco got sat. I wasn't pumped that he's injured. I, again, I, I hope it's nothing serious. But I'm glad he's on the bench. Let's see what Allen has. You know, let's see. I'm okay with that. And then let's see what Locke has for the last four or five games of the season. That's exciting to me. I'm excited to see Locke fail. You know, as long as I see something from him. How does he lead the huddle? Where is his excitement level? What do guys get from him? I think that guys are energized by Philip Lindsay. And I do think they're energized by Dalton Reisner. When Dalton Reisner two times now has picked up Philip Lindsay and thrown him across the goal line in the first down to gain line. That's, that's something that I think guys can really build on that builds the culture of a locker room. 
Cortland Sutton being a baller with a bad team and a bad quarterback. There's hope here, guys. There's hope, truly. And I think in the next few weeks, let's not even hope for wins. Let's not look for wins. Let's look for who's going to ball out. Is Justin Simmons going to continue his Pro Bowl caliber year? Kareem Jackson, is he going to continue to pound people at the line? And is he is he going to be your vocal veteran leader for years to come, even though he's getting older? You need guys like that. That's what we have to look for. Who's going to who's going to show up for a bad team? Who's going to be here for the future? Who's going to be the guys you build around? And I hope as we all do that one of those guys will become the future face of the franchise, will become the savior of the team, lead the team to future greatness, and we all hope that will be Drew Locke. Until next week, go Broncos.